Yo, what's happening, everybody? My name is Anthony Carrenti, and thank you, as always, for checking out another episode of the Dynasty Drive. So the NFL draft has come and gone. We've had a, a couple days to or about a week or so to digest most of the landing spots, react to what we liked, what we didn't like. And joining me on today's episode of the podcast is Matt Hicks. Matt hosts an excellent podcast called The Rookie Big Board, does some really, really great work for everything Dynasty Devi rookie related all year round uh 24 7 365 pretty much so got uh, about a i think it was about a half hour 40 minute or so conversation with matt reacting to each day of the draft the stuff we uh, were really happy about maybe some of the stuff that was a little more underwhelming but matt does a great job with rookie analysis and if you haven't already make sure to follow him on twitter uh, check out his patreon his podcast all the great stuff he does over at nfl draft bible if you haven't already, uh, if you would consider taking some time to leave a review for this podcast, or if this is your first time listening, if you could leave a five-star rating, um, leave a review, or consider subscribing to the podcast, that stuff would all be greatly appreciated. And if you're not already, you can follow me on Twitter at Dynasty Drive. But we'll hop right into the conversation with Matt. Uh, runs a little over a half hour or so, reacting to everything 2021 NFL Draft, and we'll see you guys on the other side. All right, joining me on today's episode of the podcast is Matt Hicks. Matt does excellent work on his podcast, The Rookie Big Board, and a ton of other great content, rookie-related, Debbie-related, Dynasty-related, over with NFL Draft Bible. So, Matt, I appreciate you taking the time after the draft is finally over to still talk about the draft. Yeah, man, I love it. And listen, it's a 365 process, but uh, especially this week, there's I'm just like digesting more and more things, and... I, I released normally the rookie big board only comes out like once every other week just because of, of time and all my other projects. But I, I've released three episodes this week and I think I might do a fourth because I'm like, what if I ranked the UDFAs that I like? And so there's just so many different ways to look at the draft, man. I, I love it. We'll be digesting for a few more weeks and then we get to start building the 22 board, which just sounds you know wild to think about right now. Yeah, it was it's it's awesome while it's happening and then of course you have like those initial like gut take reactions to stuff and I kind of like I I don't want to say I tried to stay away but like I took like you know Tuesday night where I was like okay I'm just not going to just kind of <laughs> let it rest for a minute because I was trying to digest like some of the landing spots cuz some of the landing spots are weird like some of the stuff especially on day 3 with guys that I think a lot of people thought might go earlier and we'll get into them that I was like oh I really like this from an NFL like team building standpoint but I absolutely hate it for fantasy football um so it's kind of interesting to digest that but we'll start uh, working through what happened on Thursday and hit the stuff we liked we didn't like and kind of go from there um day 1 you know started chalk Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson I think everybody had pegged at the top for for quite a while now and there was a lot of stuff that i think a lot of us had pretty strong inclinations would go down um trey lance at three i guess was maybe a mild surprise if you bought the mac jones smoke but you know trading multiple first rounders always felt like they were coming up for somebody with actual athleticism and not mac jones um and you know jamar chase at five to cincinnati kyle pitts at four a lot of that stuff you know smoke came out pretty pretty strong leading up to the draft that it would go down i love a lot of the landing spots for guys in round one though like pitts in atlanta i think has a chance to buck the trend as you know early contributor at tight end which i know we tell people every year like be patient with rookie tight ends uh kyle pitts i think has a chance to be the outlier jamar chase i joked with somebody on the first night of the draft like oh how soon till joe burrow gets zach taylor fired and then they hire joe brady and like just full-blown get the band back together from lsu oh man i love that <laughs> but even like jalen waddle i know you and i i think both had him as wide receiver too i love him reuniting with tua in miami i think it's exactly what that offense needed i think it's exactly what tua needed uh to kind of settle in and kind of re regain some some confidence and open up that offense a little bit so i guess just a little bit about stuff that you were fond of or maybe not so fond of on the first night of the draft yeah i mean uh with, with the first couple picks going chalk i'll even say and, and i know that you know it wasn't chalk but trey lance to me was always the pick once yeah. I, I for me when they made the trade it was justin fields or trey lance and when i 
you know, when it came down to Trey Lance or Mac Jones, it, Mac Jones at no point made any sense to me. I, that was just so for me, that was fairly chalk. I have to be honest. I, I am surprised that Jamar Chase went to Cincinnati. I really thought that they were going to go Penny Sewell. And, and it's interesting to me, the initial reaction that I saw was, you know, folks worried about either Jamar Chase himself or worried about Tyler Boyd or, or worried about T Higgins. And I have to say, like, I've gone in, I've, I've updated my projections for the 2021 season, and I, all three of those guys are top 24 wide receivers for me right now. And the opportunity's there. I actually have Jamar Chase with the least amount of targets of any of these guys. I still have him finishing as wide receiver 19 right now, and I have him It's at, I'm pulling up the exact number here, 118 targets. Folks forget Cincinnati threw the ball 581 times last year. That's before Joe Burrow really got into the groove of things. And remember, like, the last three games of the season was, what, like Ryan Finley and, like, a rotation of other. So I have Cincinnati projected to throw the ball 625 times this year, and Joe Mixon doesn't catch passes out of the backfield for the most part. And uh, if you're worried about C.J. Uzuma or Drew Sample pulling in targets, then I, I don't know what to tell you, right? So Jamar, at first, I was like, do I like Jamar Chase to Cincinnati? And then, you know, I, I always advocate for plugging in the numbers. And when it comes out here, it, it's looking really nice for Jamar Chase. He doesn't even need, uh, uh, you know, the, the highest volume on his team. And that's only with six touchdowns. And he could easily go beyond six touchdowns. That's a pretty conservative estimate, just leaving, you know, some for, for Higgins and Boyd. So... I, I like the the T Higgins spot a lot, and I love the Jalen Waddle spot. I mean, Jalen Waddle is wide receiver twenty eight for me year one, which is really good for a wide receiver. We got a little spoiled with like Justin Jefferson and Ceedee Lamb last year, right? Mm-hmm. But Waddle was my wide receiver two coming in, and it sounded like you know for for some folks Waddle was the wide receiver one. Like the reports were that Miami actually had Waddle higher on their boards than Chase. Will we ever know that for sure? No, who knows that, right? But what, what I really like about it is that Waddle's going to step into some immediate volume. I have him stepping into 18% of the, of the of the shares on that team. That's 99 targets. Remember, Miami's not going to throw the ball nearly as much as Cincinnati. But 99 targets, that's great. I think he's going to be the touchdown leader on that team. I have him pegged for six. And the offense overall is getting a lot better too. So Waddle's a natural separator. He creates space on his own, which is what I love about him. I love that pairing with Tua. But remember, you have Will Fuller stretching defenses too. Devonta Parker hasn't gotten gone away, and they even have some, you know, I don't want to say gadgety type guys, but you know, Lynn Bowden can get out there on the field, confuse defenses. They they brought in Hunter Long with Mike Kosecki, so they could be running some uh, some twelve personnel there as well. So it, it'll be really interesting to see what what Miami's thinking here. But it, Waddle for me is is a perfect fit in an offense that's emerging. If you if you have Tua, then you should be all in on Tua. He was my quarterback one last season. I'm still all in on that. I still think he reaches that ceiling. So I'm excited about him. I'm excited about Jalen Waddle for sure. Uh, so the wide receivers at the top, at least one and two, they didn't move at all for me. Yeah, I uh, Miami is weird because it feels like people almost inexplic- inexplicably are just out on Tua. Like, mm-hmm. And to your point about Waddle being wide receiver one for some teams, I had a discussion with somebody a couple weeks back prior to the draft, and I think the gap, like, I had Chase 1 and Waddle 2, but I think the gap between Chase and Waddle was so much smaller than the gap between Waddle and Smith or Waddle and whoever your third wide receiver was. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he kind of, like, unfortunately got pegged with a lot of, like, oh, he's Henry Ruggs. And <laughs> he's not Henry Ruggs. Like, not at all. Like, no. Sure, he's a fast guy, but, like, the acceleration is bananas and like the control that he has over himself while going that fast is what makes him so special to me i think it's not just and his athleticism his athleticism crazy. his hands are, are next level from what rugs ever put together and i'm not knocking rugs i liked rugs i was on rugs should he have been the first wide receiver last year no absolutely not but uh you know waddle has always been so much more than his his speed and he, and he was clearly the best wide receiver uh, well, I shouldn't say clearly the best wide receiver on the field last year because that's when they had Jerry Judy as well. But, you know, it, it was clear to me this season that he was the best wide receiver on the field before he went down with injury. And I love Devonta Smith. So that's not knocking Devonta Smith at all. It's just that uh, Waddle's ability to go up and get the ball, you know, at times you'd think in a contested catch situation that he was 6'2". 
you know, I, I don't care if he's two inches shorter than like Rashad Bateman, who I'm sure we'll get into. If, if you're going to throw up a jump ball, I'll take Waddle because he can get up even higher. Uh, and, and he has really sticky hands. He's great at the catch point, really good before the. And listen, hey, when, when you spend a season reacting to underthrown Mac Jones balls, man, you get real good at ball tracking. <laughs> Truthfully, for like pass catchers <laughs> across the board in round one, like there's not a lot that I didn't like, or not a lot that I didn't like in terms of scheme fit or anything. Like I think Devontae Smith is a great fit in Philly. I think that'll be you know interesting to see what he does there. Uh, even Kadarius Tony wasn't a guy that I was super high on, but I get it. Like I get what they see. Um, not somebody that I'm probably gonna end up with a whole lot of just based on where I think he'll still probably go, you know, early mid round two ish, maybe even earlier in rookie drafts. And I'm kind of out at that cost. Uh, but Bateman, like you just said, and then we'll talk about a couple of the running backs, but Rashad Bateman just felt like if he was going to go around one, it was going to be to the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I think we were both maybe a little bit lower on him than a lot of other people coming into it. And I feel like I had to explain to everybody, like, I don't hate Rashad Bateman. I think he's fine. But, like, for what I think he is, I think Baltimore is a pretty decent fit for the same reasons I think that Tylen Wallace is a good fit, albeit right. at a much cheaper cost, both in terms of, you know, real actual NFL draft capital and what you'll pay for in rookie drafts. Um, but, you know, I think he'll be decent there, but I don't think you're going to get especially in that offense with way lower pat, like talk about Miami having less passing volume than Cincinnati. I mean, you know, it's, they're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball some more in Baltimore. And I think Bateman will help Lamar and will be a productive NFL receiver. I just, the, the juice isn't there for me for fantasy. Like I'll take him, but it's gotta be at a value that I'm comfortable with. And I would assume that'll be later than a lot of other people are willing to roll the dice on him. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting with Bateman. So I, I called it my karma because I, I have been much lower on, on Bateman throughout the entire process. And it was never that I disliked Bateman. I just thought that folks were overvaluing him. I mean, you look at the 2020 tape, it's horrid. And I know folks you know want to make excuses about 2020 tape, but you don't just throw away half a season of anybody else's tape, right? So uh, that, that was confusing for me. Now, you go back to his 2019 tape, there's a lot to like. But... Also, my biggest concern through the whole process was that he was a contested catch guy that never quite looked as big. He never looked as big for me uh, as he was listed. And then, of course, he came to the combine. We found out he was two inches and 20 pounds lighter. And, you know, I don't care how good you are, uh, ball skills, contested catch situations. Uh, if you are not a natural separator, and I don't think Rashad Bateman consistently is, it's going to be difficult to win contested catch situations in the NFL, right? Like corners are bigger. DBs are bigger. They're stronger. They understand how to play the field better. So those are my concerns going in. That being said, you know, Rashad Bateman was hanging just outside my, my top five wide receivers. You know, he does have nice hands. He does have good route running ability. Uh, at times, his ability to win over the middle of the field is really fantastic. Now, uh, you have to plug him into the Baltimore offense. And even night one, right? So like night one, I go in. And, and, you know, I had kind of been convincing myself a little bit of, you know, Rashad Bateman or Terrace Marshall. I was like, maybe they can work in Baltimore because the big thing here, for me, a wide receiver coming in, a rookie wide receiver, they got to win over the middle of the field. That's going to be the key. Can they win over the middle of the field? I like Lamar. I believe in Lamar as a passer. I do not buy into this bogus uh, kind of, kind of uh, narrative of Lamar is not a good passer, but where Lamar struggles, like a lot of NFL quarterbacks, but he has struggled to be accurate along the boundary. So what we're going to need, hopefully, is Rashad Bateman to be running routes over the middle of the field instead of along the boundary. Now, what Baltimore does with that is to be seen, but even in the best case scenario, you know, I was really trying to be generous here with the targets that I gave him. I couldn't, I couldn't find a situation where I plugged in more than 63 targets for Rashad Bateman in this offense this season. And that is the most on the team that I, I, I he has the most targets on the team uh, uh, for wide receivers here. When I'm doing out these numbers, uh, Baltimore threw the ball 406 times last season. I bumped them up to 420. There's a lot of folks pushing this narrative on Twitter right now that Rashad Bateman uh, or not Rashad Bateman. I'm sorry. The Baltimore Ravens are just going to start throwing the ball more. And, and it seems, you know, though the coaching staff is going to revamp the offense. They're going to flip it over. I, I got to tell you guys, Greg, I've seen Greg Roman play or, or call football games. Go all the way back to San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick. 
it, it, when when Greg Roman is successful, and the Ravens have been very successful offensively, uh, and, and so were the 49ers under Greg Roman, he's running the ball at least 500 times a season. And when Greg Roman runs the ball less than 500 times a season, it's not successful. So I guarantee you the Ravens are not going to significantly increase their passing attempts. I gave them 20 more passing attempts this year. If they get 50 more, that would be significant, but it still wouldn't be enough to help out Rashad Bateman. You know, I, I was I was chatting with with uh, in one of my Slack channels the other day, and somebody was asking me, they said, you know, I feel like if Rashad Bateman got to 120 targets, that'd be a good spot for him. And it would be, but there's not, a, I, I was like, I literally project no him at, at half that. Um, and, and I don't think I'm being unfair. Now, adding Tylen Wallace in, in the fourth round also doesn't help. Remember, they added Sammy Watkins this offseason. They still have Hollywood Brown. And don't forget, they still have Mark Andrews. But even if you push out the targets for Rashad Bateman, right, give him 100 targets. Shoot for the moon. How many touchdowns is he getting? Four? Yeah. Three? Five? Five, maybe? Max out 100 targets. Give him a 65% catch rate. Add in more touchdowns than I gave him. Give him five touchdowns. I guarantee you, I, I haven't done the numbers because I have him much lower than that. I, you're still probably looking at a borderline wide receiver too. So you were hoping for the sky, and, and it's it's just not there. I hope he proves me wrong, but it seems like everybody wants to compare him to A.J. Brown, and, and, and I just don't think that's a similar situation at all. The Titans didn't have a successful offense. The Ravens have a successful offense. It's gotten them to the playoffs multiple years. It's working. Yes, they need to kick it up a notch to take it over to the next gear here and, and make it into the Super Bowl. But it's not like the Ravens are a bad team, yeah. and they're also not a team that prioritizes offense. They build defense first, and they're proud of that. That's the way that they play. So uh, that's a really long-winded way of saying, man, I Rashad Bateman moved down for me, and he was somebody who was slowly moving up as others were moving down pre-draft, but then it just corrected itself there on draft night when he landed with the Ravens. Yeah, I a hundred targets is like everything in the world goes right. The Ravens defense is somehow horrible, and they're playing from behind for you know the majority of the season. Like so many things have to go right for him to even come close to that. It feels like with all those other guys there, that it's so unlikely. It's and I don't know. Like hopefully in the future it opens up a little bit, but like you said, Greg Roman has never been one to be like, all right, guys, well we're gonna we're gonna abandon the run and. We're going to throw this ball 550 times or 600 times a year. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I like Lamar, too. I don't buy the narrative that he's, you know, bad or declining or not, you know, going to grow as a passer. But it's just a, I don't know, it's an interesting offense where I'd rather have shares of the running quarterback and the running backs than I would of most of the pass catchers, I guess. But. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But talking about uh, running backs to go round one after there was so much talk that maybe none would go round one. Uh, Najee Harris to the Pittsburgh Steelers was the biggest lock of the century for forever. I remember talking with the guys on Dynasty Underdog like back in December saying, man, Najee Harris really feels like a Pittsburgh Steeler. And it just feels perfect. Like I know that people kind of, some people killed them a little bit, like, oh, the offensive line's a mess, but I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I think Najee Harris is really the one back that I felt comfortable in this class overcoming situation. Like, there really wasn't a landing spot for him where I would have been out or that he would have been RB2, RB3. Um, I think that he plays Pittsburgh Steelers kind of football as, like, cliche and, you know, not really a, a take of on anything really, but he's, I don't know. It just works for that offense for an offense where Ben is probably close to done if he wasn't done last year. Uh, and we'll try to look to get more of the running game going after they had gotten nothing out of James Connor and Benny Snell and uh, Anthony McFarlane jr. And those guys last year. And then uh, urban Meyer and Trent Baalke and Travis Etienne ended James Robinson's fantasy relevance. Uh, everybody is now trying to panic sell for whatever they could get, and nobody's willing to trade for him. Uh, so I guess quick reaction to ETN, and I know we both love Najee, but is James Robinson worth anything in Dynasty anymore, or was his one season as a bell cat? Like Urban Meyer saying that ETN's a, a third down back is 
bananas. Like that's not a true thing at all. You don't spend round one draft capital on a running back and then say he's a third round back or a third down back when he wasn't the best pass catching back uh, in the draft either. But uh, I don't know. It's a weird fit. I, I kind of feel for James Robinson a little bit, but just shows these teams when uh, when they don't have the draft capital committed to running backs, they will not hesitate to move on. That is for sure. Yeah, it, it's it's so interesting to me. You know, uh, we'll we'll start here with Travis Etienne because it's probably the the more interesting point to make. You know, and it's funny we're talking about Etienne back to back with Rashad Bateman because I joke around. There, there's two groups on Twitter that that dislike me. One is Golden Gopher Twitter uh, because of my Rashad Bateman tweets, and, and two is uh, James Robinson truthers because the James Robinson truthers have not liked me for a while, uh, but. Uh, when when Urban Meyer came to town, <laughs> uh, you know it was very clear that we were going to be looking at a change in what the offense looked like in general, right? Sure. Uh, and and as we got closer to the draft, uh, I honed in uh, on this idea of Etienne to Jacksonville, and I tweeted it out a uh, week, maybe a week and a half before the draft, and I kind of said. You know, don't be surprised if Etienne ends up in Jacksonville. And I got some comments on that one. Uh, but, you know, it, it ended up working out. And for me, it made sense in a couple different ways, right? First and foremost, Urban Meyer, when he came to town, he said, I'm looking for speed on this offense. All right, James Robinson, I'm not trying to knock the guy. Fantastic rookie season. He's not fast, right? That's, that's not what he's bringing to the table. Uh, the other side of this thing here is that Travis Etienne, is a really special back. Yeah, he played with with uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. I'm sure that didn't hurt him, right? Uh, they they say a, a rookie quarterback's best friend is a, is a good running game, right? So to have his buddy running the ball there, that's fantastic as well. But Etienne is fast. Urban Meyer loves speed. They were picking at a spot in, in the first round where you know they they maybe could have waited until the second to get him, and and I actually had him pegged for that that first pick in the second round that Jacksonville had. But it seemed like they were aggressive there, reportedly after they didn't get Kadarius Tony. I don't know if I like that, but I guess it kind of buys into the speed narrative. Um, but anyways, I, I love the spot with Travis Etienne. For me, he comes in. I slotted him right in for 55% of the market. Uh, James Robinson down to 20%. Uh, James Robinson, for me, is a non-factor you know, I think you got to hold him now in, in case Travis Etienne goes down with injury. We see that happen to running backs all the time. I do think... Probably the biggest threat to Etienne's uh, fantasy football value is if James Robinson hangs on for some goal line carries uh, or if those go to Carlos Hyde. Now, remember, Carlos Hyde is there, and I'm not suggesting that Carlos Hyde is going to be relevant for fantasy football purposes, but he could be a vulture, uh, especially at the goal line there. Remember, uh, Hyde played with Urban Meyer previously, so uh, he was a very targeted addition to that. Probably a veteran presence in the locker room was a big part of that, but you know, he, he's probably going to touch the ball 50 times. And if he steals three touchdowns from these other guys, then he'll be annoying for us, right? Uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of angry tweets out there. And the other thing to add in here is that Travis Etienne can catch the ball. He proved that last season. So, you know, give the guy give the guy 45 targets. And uh, he's exactly running back 24 for me in his first year. So all in on Travis Etienne. I, I, I'm all out on James Robinson. I was. It's too late now, though. If you held, you got to hold, and, and you got to hope that you know a, a situation presents itself in the future, and you can, you know, turn around and uh, flip them quickly when that time comes. But uh, you know, the the narrative around Najee Harris for me has been really fascinating, and I understand. Uh, you know, we're 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 not analytics guys, and I have plenty of analytics friends, and and you know, I, I definitely respect the work of the analytics community, and. Uh, here's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when I, when I, you know, kind of go, when I talk to my folks that, uh, I trust on the analytics side, you know, age is a big thing. And that's what folks are hammering on Najee Harris right now, 23 and a half entering the NFL, you know, running backs decline after three years, you, you hear all these narratives. Well, I, I gotta tell you, if, if you're in a super flex league and you draft Najee Harris at 104, if you're in a one QB league, you draft Najee Harris at 101 and he gives you three years of running back one production. That's fine. He could drop off after that. How many running backs do you get three years of running back one production? And that's what I think you get out of Najee Harris. I really do. I have him pegged in as running back nine right now overall in his first season. I mean, he's going to get fed the rock. 220 attempts seems like a minimum. And he is such a good pass catcher. I have him at 72 uh, targets right now, 52 receptions. That is that is what 
part of what made him landing spot proof. I don't like that term. Najee Harris is the only guy that I called landing spot proof this this draft cycle, especially at the running back position, my goodness, sure. because he can do it all, right? So he's going to eat. He doesn't even have to be efficient. I understand the concerns with the Pittsburgh offensive line. Guess what? If you get 220 carries, you don't have to be efficient. You literally don't. I mean, Derrick Henry. I mean, you know what I mean? Like like Derrick Henry without one big run every season in his first couple of years, uh, that, that's your minimum there, except Najee Harris can catch the ball. Yeah. And he is easily the best pass catching back in this year's class. So you add in the touchdown potential there. Nobody's threatening his workload. I love it. Ben Roethlisberger, you know, I mean, let's call it what it is, man. This guy's got a noodle arm at this point. He's going to rely on the check down. That's going to really help him out. And Najee Harris is going to be the one that benefits from it. So uh, Najee Harris, even if you get three years and he's done forever, I'll take those three years. And the last note I'll put about Najee Harris is there's everybody I'm noticing is, is also fixated on the strength of schedule uh, for Najee Harris and the Steelers this year, which we know doesn't matter. Looking at, at previous year's strengths of schedule is never a good idea. It doesn't have any correlation. It, it is insignificant. So just fade that narrative. I am not wavering off of Najee Harris as my highest graded non-quarterback here right now. First guy I'm taking off the board in a non-superflex league. So uh, I'm all in on Najee Harris, and, and I love the landing spot in Pittsburgh. You know, I, I'd almost call it ideal. Obviously, you like more offensive line. But what do we want? We want volume as fantasy football players. You, and we get gifted volume, and you're going to find an excuse to not like him. I, I can't get behind it. Yeah, it's a he's a lock, like you said, for a, a real honest to goodness three down workhorse role. Like, there's nobody I'm worried about stealing meaningful touches from him. Like, it's not even close. It's a. It's almost like, in terms of who's around him, it's the exact opposite of what Etienne has. And even that is still like, oh, I'm really excited about it. But, like, you're not giving meaningful uh, meaningful targets or meaningful carries to Benny Snell or Anthony McFarlane Jr. Like, sure, those guys will touch the ball or see the field sometimes. But when Najee needs a breather, like not when, right. <laughs> not, and, be, not because this guy's going to be better. <laughs> and it's funny too, because Benny Snell was a running back. I really liked in the 2019 cycle. I really liked Anthony McFarland in the 2020 cycle, but let's, let's be honest with what we've got here, right? 80, 80 to hundred touches for those guys on the season. Najee 220. I mean, like, come on, yeah. what are we working with here? I like those guys. It's Najee's backfield. You're absolutely right. All right, well, let's move on to day two and day three because that's where things get fun and spicy and players went off the board. Spicy's all right. Types of crazy places that nobody saw coming. Day two started fun. Uh, I did not think Elijah Moore would make it out of round one. I thought an NFL team would love him. Um, frankly, I didn't expect my New York Jets to be the team that drafted him top of round two, but I kind of love the fit. I do love the fit from a fan perspective, but I love the fit from a fantasy perspective, kind of both in the short and long term as well, because I don't think they will be in a rush necessarily to move on from Jamison Crowder. Uh, I could see it being something where, you know, I don't know if they get to the point where they outright cut him, but I could see them trying to save face and flip him for some kind of capital if they want to spend that money on a corner or something. But I think there's a situation where both of those guys are on the field at the same time, because Crowder is... Crowder is what he is. He's good underneath and can do a little bit after the catch, but Elijah Moore is a different kind of dynamic. Elijah Moore can win vertical, and I think that the team has visions of, and I'm not comparing him to this player, but I think the team has some visions of using him in that kind of quote-unquote Debo Samuel-type role where you know they get him involved on end arounds, They get him involved on those manufactured touches near the line of scrimmage. So I don't think it's going to be something where necessarily just Crowder's on the field or just Elijah Moore's on the field. But Crowder, it's extremely unlikely he's there past this year if he makes it to the beginning of this year at all. So Moore initially is going to be you know one of the top options there in the passing game with Mims and Corey Davis. Um, I think it's a very interesting fit, even though we're still waiting to see what the offense looks like. And then after that, I mean, there was a plenty on the second day that I thought was interesting. Um, you know, Nico Collins going to the Texans was earlier than I thought, but I kind of, the more I've thought about it, I kind of love the situation, even though the quarterback situation's a mess. Um, who knows, you know, what's going on with Watson or Davis Mills or uh, anybody there, but 
he'll have opportunity and he's got the athletic profile that makes him interesting. And I mean, Trey Sermon to the Niners felt like if they were going to take a back on day two, it was going to be Trey Sermon. So in terms of landing spot, I mean, that's about as good as I could have hoped for for him. And Amari Rogers was another one that I love that fit in Green Bay. I love that. I know the past couple of years, it's like, can the Packers add something for Aaron Rodgers? And, you know, who knows how that'll all end up or if he just goes and hosts Jeopardy or whatever he's going to do, if they can work it out. But I think Rodgers across, Amari Rodgers, that is, across from Devontae Adams is a really awesome fit. Like, let Devontae be you know, the target monster and, you know, the real alpha kind of go-to guy that we know that he is. But Rodgers can do plenty after the catch, can do plenty in the short and intermediate game. He has that almost like running back kind of build to him where he kind of looks like a running back in the open field after he catches the ball. Um, he's somebody that I'm really interested to see in LaFleur's offense there. You know, how I think he could be an early contributor, and I think he's somebody that will really kind of grow into that role uh, across from Devonte Adams as well, so I guess a couple of your thoughts on who you really liked fit wise or where they landed on uh, day two of the draft. Yeah, I, I thought you threw out some really good names there. You know, it's interesting to me. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think now, like who's who's throwing the ball to Nico Collins in, in 2022, like. You know, maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe we got Spencer Rattler chucking that's the ball. What that's Nico. what I'm I mean, hoping for. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, you got to think the Texans got a top three pick next year, right? You got Spencer Rattler's probably going to come off. I, I'm not that high on him yet relative to Sam Howell. Uh, you know, uh, I like Keaton Slovis. I like Jaden Daniels. I don't think those guys will, right now, I wouldn't consider them near that top three conversation. But the point being is, that, you know, Nico Collins specifically, as long as you got a taxi spot, <laughs> then it's not he, – he's not a bad guy to draft in, in the third round. Again, and Amari Rogers, I, I loved it on draft night. The more and more we hear about the potential that Aaron Rodgers might not be coming back, that does make me nervous. Like, uh, you know, we're – we're in a, 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 a like UDPL, uh, a, a league to get dynasty league together podcast, dynasty league together. And uh, I got Devontae Adams. I've been trying to trade them all day. Nobody will take <laughs> Devontae Adams off my hands. So I think everybody's panicking like I'm panicking. Uh, and, but if, if Rogers is there, then I like other Rogers. You know, if Aaron Rodgers is there, I like Amari Rogers. So uh, uh, that I really like. Um, so, I mean, gosh, there's just so many picks on day two and day three. I'll say, you know, uh, one which I think isn't getting quite enough love, and I get it. I get why folks are a little confused by it. But I was high on Dwayne Eskridge coming in. I, I, you know, was I was planting my flag on him as a top 100 guy, and then he comes off the board, what, 58 or something like that? Yeah. And I, I was like, man, I thought I was high on it. I knew the NFL was high on him. And, and I like his ability a lot. And I think if he it, – it's really interesting. So Eskridge played on the outside at, at Western Michigan, but he's, he's undersized. I believe he's like 5'10", 180. So you would think he's going to play inside uh, for the Seahawks, and the Seahawks have been desperate for a third – a good third wide receiver. Uh, I know they don't – you know, they're, they're not the most vertical passing attack, but they've been really trying to figure out, is it David Moore, is it Freddie Swain, you know, who is it here – and I think Dwayne Eskridge gives him a really explosive addition. I've kind of comped him a lot to a, a healthy Will Fuller, Will Fuller with two hamstrings, you know, uh, and what he can provide to an offense. And I, he's got that touchdown potential. And so I like Dwayne Eskridge a lot. You know, Russell Wilson wants to throw the ball more. Uh, they've been at, at least making somewhat of an effort to add some extra pass protection in there. So, I mean – you know, do I think he's going to be a, a wide receiver three as a rookie? No, probably not. But best ball leagues, uh, leagues where you, you have deeper bench spots, Dwayne Eskridge, uh, you know, he was a top 24 guy uh, pre-draft in the rookie big board uh, because I loved his tape and I, I had a good feeling he was going top 100 just from who I was talking to. And then he ends up being, uh, right now I think he's 21 on the rookie big board. So I'm taking him second round and, and I've gotten him, already in a couple rookie drafts, second round. So I'm happy to take him. And then, uh, you know, I, I know you were just tossing it up for me, so I'm just going to take the bait, man. Uh, Terrace Marshall, my, my <laughs> dude, uh, he hits a free fall, right? I mean, I was sweating it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Terrace Marshall for me, you know, and, and I've been putting it out there to the world. I thought he was a first-round talent easily. 
uh, this past season. I thought he showed that. Uh, it turned out that he fell um, in, in a kind of a unique situation. So from what I understand, he fell because of his medicals, but it wasn't that anything was particularly flagged in his medicals. It was that teams didn't feel, and this was not uh, specific to Terrace Marshall. This happened to some other guys like uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromora. Remember, he fell down to 52 with Cleveland. Uh, there were a few other guys who had um, uh, Tevin Jenkins. This happened to him as well. It wasn't that they got particularly flagged for something at, at the medical combine in Indianapolis. It was that teams didn't feel like they had the same access and, and level of information as years past. So there was just some volatility there. Uh, so some teams took these guys with injuries off their board, not because of what they saw, but just because they couldn't see anything. So, uh, But Terrace Marshall, he takes the free fall, which is not fantastic, but ends up still going late second round. And where does he go? He goes to Carolina, which is fantastic for two reasons. One, pre-draft, I had 20% of the, of the wide receiver market share, of the receiving market share, just open for Carolina. Remember, Curtis Samuel left. They didn't fill that void with anybody. They don't have anybody on their depth chart of significance past DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. So you plug Terrace Marshall in there 18% because I had to move some numbers around to get Tommy Tremble some, some targets as well. So you plug Terrace Marshall in there, and then you, you start looking at the field and you start trying to figure out how these guys are going to line up. Well, we know Moore's playing the X, right? Anderson actually primarily played in the flanker role. Robbie Anderson did not play on the inside for Carolina, so you put Terrace Marshall on the inside, which I know sounds a little suspect, right? 6'3", 200, you got Terrace Marshall in there. But go back to Joe Brady's 2019 LSU offense where Terrace Marshall was on pace to outproduce Justin Jefferson. Where was he playing primarily? Big slot. We've seen the big slot work for guys like Justin Jefferson in the pros, even CeeDee Lamb last year in Dallas playing big slot. All right, so you plug Terrace Marshall in there. And for me, you know, I think you peg him for seven touchdowns. I think he could stretch the field. I have him at 95 targets. I think he's going to click right away in that Carolina offense. And that is not projecting a significant jump in Sam Darnold. And I still believe in Sam Darnold. So you look two, three years down the down the road, if Matt Rule and Carolina can develop uh, Carolina in the way that the Jets were not able to do, in the way that we thought Sam Darnold was going to be developed as the number two overall pick in the 2018 NFL draft, right? So uh, the upside for Terrace Marshall is super significant. So that was my favorite pick of day two because I was sweating it, and he ends up still landing in a spot that I absolutely love. Would I have preferred he went in the first round? Sure, but I think he, for me, is, is a steal of day two for Carolina, and he goes from wide receiver three just down to wide receiver four of my rankings. So I did have to drop him. I bumped Devonta Smith over him, but he's still very high for me in my wide receiver ranks. It's funny because a wide receiver that I kept coming back to with Marshall as, as you know, after watching more of him and le the more we got closer to the draft, he reminded me a lot of Denzel Mims and mm -hmm. it's like the same thing that happened. Like Denzel Mims leading up to the draft, it was like, Oh, he's going to go late round one. And I agree. I thought Terrace Marshall was a late round one player too. Like I, I thought, Baltimore had a good shot. I, I felt logical to me that he could go earlier than somebody like Rashad Bateman. Uh, and then he has that same kind of slide into day two. But I initially, I overreacted a little bit to landing spot, both for uh, Marshall and Dwayne Eskridge, where I was like, man, I don't love either of these. Uh, but when you take kind of a step back, and especially the point that you hit with Carolina, not really replace, you know, adding anybody to replace everything vacated by Curtis Samuel, uh, he's definitely going to have opportunity. And it's nice to see Sam Darnold have a, an actual, you know, cast around him for, for once in his career because I still think he can be good and salvaged as well. And it's funny to see the Jets kind of overcompensate for how bad they didn't put anybody around Darnold for the last, you know, three years while he was there with everybody they had around Zach Wilson now. But Give him a shot. Give him a shot. Have to. Well, day three... It's going to be like predictable because this is my guy, but I'm on Ross St. Brown. Oh, man. I'm on St. Brown. Like you said with Terrace Marshall, I would have loved Amon Ra to go day two. I would have loved him to see, have him be a second round pick, but Amon Ra is going to be, 
I have drafted. Oh, I, I wanted to draft so much Amon Ra today in like three different rookie drafts that were going on. Sniped in every single one of them. Oh because man! Everybody is caught up now that this he's going to be an absolute target hog in Detroit. Oh yeah, it is going to be fantastic for him, and I I couldn't be happier. I think Jared Goff is going to feed him the ball, pepper him with targets. Uh, that is by far my favorite fit on the third day of the draft. Uh, but there was weird stuff like. The one pick that I kept coming back to is like, oh, that's weird. Like, I, I get it from an NFL perspective, but I wanted something totally different for fantasy. Is Kylan Hill to Green Bay? Like, oh, I hate oh, it. Kylan Don't Hill you just hate it? buried, buried behind running backs for the Packers. And it's so disappointing. And it felt like that kept happening with running backs. We're like, okay, Kenny Gainwell, love him or hate him. It was like, man, I really wished he would have landed in a spot where he felt like it was going to be more consistently involved than behind Miles Sanders. Like, I still think he'll have pretty decent involvement as a pass catcher and a running back behind Sanders, but the running backs on day three where it's usually so ex- you know easy to get excited about, like, oh, I could see the path to early success and early involvement for him. I didn't have it with a lot of running backs this year. But luckily, as much as I stand for Alman Ra, that kind of uh, helped me <laughs> helped me out through some of it. Yeah, the 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 Amon Rob pick was fantastic, and uh, you know, I, I when it comes to Amon Ross St. Brown, right? It, it's such a good fit in Detroit because I say this all the time about Amon Ross St. Brown. In college, he was good at everything, and I I don't mean that to be hyperbolic because I don't think he was great at anything. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. So, and and so in in a lot of situations. Although I really liked Amon Ross St. Brown, I couldn't see him having a quick fantasy football impact because I didn't think he would ever stand out amongst a wide receiver. And that was fine, right? Because I I thought he'd always be a good NFL wide receiver. For fantasy, I was always a little worried. However, (laughs) I mean, it's not difficult to stand out against Brashad Perriman, Quintus Cephas, and Tyrell Williams. Uh, You know, throw Khalif Raymond in there if you're feeling, you know, saucy. So... (laughs) Uh, it's it's uh, I, I think you said it perfectly. I think uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be Jared Goff's guy. I have him pegged for 103 targets because even if you like Brashad Perriman, which I got to be honest, I find it hard to quit Brashad Perriman sometimes. Uh, he's not getting targets, right? He's a deep ball guy. Tyra Williams to a degree. I mean, he's not known for being a target monster. So maybe Cephas takes up some of your targets, but that man is, is slow a lot of the times. And so uh, I think it's going to be the DeAndre Swift, or let me let me uh, clarify this, actually. It's going to be TJ Hawkinson in the passing game, then Amon Ross St. Brown, and then it's going to be the DJ Swift show, or DeAndre Swift show, sorry. And, and then that's going to be it. Like, that's going to be Detroit. And to be honest, I think they're fine with that. Yeah. I don't think Detroit's trying to get 10 wins this year. Yeah. I think if they get six, well, they'll probably be annoyed if they get six, to be honest. They probably want to get four again, right? And, and be, But I think if they hit six, Jared Goff you know, gets another year because he'll probably have done a good job. So I, I definitely am into the Amon Ross St. Brown pick. And, you know, Kylan Hill is interesting. And it, it's this discussion all the time of, you know, when you get to round seven, Especially, you know, once you get to the end of round seven, it's almost better to be a UDFA, right? Yeah. Uh, pick than, your spot, right? Yeah, you get to you get to pick you get to call your shot, pick your spot, and so Kylan Hill, hey, man, I, I think he's a three down back. Is he going to get action behind Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon? No, probably not, right? Uh, un- unless significant injury happens, and then you know, compare that to Javian Hawkins, who who I like a ton. He goes undrafted, and now he's in Atlanta. I mean, you know, that's fantastic. That's that's some real upside there, right? Um, even Jared Patterson going to Washington. I know uh, Antonio Gibson's there, but, uh, you know, injuries happen for running backs. And, and I think Jared Patterson in Washington could could be a, a really nice kind of fourth, fifth-round rookie draft throw because or dart throw, I should say, because I, I, I liked his tape a lot. He's obviously undersized, so I, I wasn't surprised when he went undrafted, but... Uh, I, I think he can really contribute to an offense. He led the Mac in rushing the past two seasons. So, you know, he definitely has production, at least at the group of five level. Uh, you know, another guy who jumps out is Jared Dokes. Uh, I, I like Dokes' tape. He was honestly one of my, I think, last five tape reviews when I was just trying to get over that 100 mark. <laughs> Finished with, I think, 102 tape reviews this year. And Jared Dokes might have been 101. Um, but I liked his tape. It was one of those guys where, 
you know, once you're starting to watch into the 80s and 90s, you're like, yep, here's another, just another guy. You know, yeah. here's just another guy. And with Jared Dokes, you were like, okay, you know, there's a little something here. He's got some burst off the line. He could smash in between the tackles. And so, you know, Miami's backfield is not solidified. We thought they would have addressed uh, running back a little bit earlier in the draft. So uh, Jared Dokes is, is an interesting upside shot there that went uh, that went late in the draft as well. So, you know, you know, it's really interesting as you as you get to the late rounds. It's all about potential opportunity. And I know you mentioned Kenny Gainwell, and, and it's not fantastic, no, that he lands in the fifth round behind Miles Sanders. But for both him and Chuba Hubbard, you know, in Carolina, again, you're one running back injury away from being the dude. I mean, if, if CMC goes down, Chuba Hubbard is the guy. I mean, who else are they going to give the ball to? Uh, right, and CMC just missed time last season. Miles Sanders just missed time last season. So, if I, I was talking about this earlier, if you want to take Kenny Gainwell at the very back end of the second round, go for it. I mean, you know, like the, the running back drop off is so steep that you might as well go for it uh, because Kenny Gainwell, if he gets to be the dude, can be good. I, I do believe in his tape. So. Um, I, you know, I, I would be fine drafting Kenny Gainwell a little bit more hesitant on Chuba Hubbard just because I didn't love his tape, but, uh, you know, immediate volume, we talked about the impact of volume. So running backs, man, uh, you know, if we're being honest, it's, it's a bit of a mess this year, but if you're going to take your shots, I think, you know, the way that we just talked about it, those are some good targets and some good approaches to taking your shots. The one other guy that I do wish had kind of a more clear path to playing time early on. But I think that if, you know, like you just alluded to with those two guys, if an injury pops up uh, and gets involved early is Khalil Herbert landing with the Bears. Yeah. I, I wish that – I think Khalil Herbert can be good, man. I really do. I, I do. I, I, I thought agree. he would go earlier than round six. I just – I don't know. He just has the look, the balance, the strength. He just runs the way that – you would profile a guy that can take a you know the lion's share of that at least early down role, and I think can do even more than that as well. Uh, but I don't know. Chicago is interesting because I'm not out on Montgomery by any means. Like I think he's fine, but I don't think he's RB four or whatever he finished up as last year. Like whatever after that crazy end of season stretch. Like I think he kind of regresses back to you know the mean or what we expect to be the norm for him. Probably like a mid range RB two, maybe a back end RB two. But Mm -hmm. there's just, there's only so many spots and they get hurt every year. Like running backs don't play 16 games. So he's a guy that if it's round three, round four, whatever it is, and you need some of that running back depth, I'm still taking my shot on Herbert. And like you said, Gainwell, I I did it earlier today. took him at the back end of round two. And initially I was like, I feel kind of, I feel kind of gross. Like I wanted this to be such a better landing spot, but it's one injury away, man. And it's exactly these guys always miss time and gone are the days for any of these players at the running back position, really being a true, true, you know, workhorse getting all the carries, unless it's, you know, Najee Harris, <laughs> Najee's getting everything. CMC. I even Christian McCaffrey, like I'm not saying that Chuba is going to come in and it's going to be a timeshare with Christian McCaffrey, but are you really going to like, feed him like derrick henry workload after he just missed second, almost the second whole contract season. running back man you know you got to be smart about it right yeah. you gotta you gotta lessen some of that load yeah chuba takes one long run to the house though and i'm pulling receipts and retweeting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're gonna be you're gonna be coming at me probably so you're gonna be coming at. Uh, i'll tell you two more dart throw late round running backs that that i'm into this year larry roundtree in los angeles I think Larry Roundtree is a better runner than Joshua Kelly. I really do. I think he. I think he makes the roster over Justin Jackson. I think Larry Roundtree can be the two there uh, with with Austin Eckler, uh, and, and I like Austin Eckler a lot. But Larry Roundtree is the three down back man, so I, I like that landing spot a ton. And, and I don't know if this will ever be fantasy football relevant, but I like Jake Funk's tape in, in college. It was really limited. There wasn't much there, and. Jake Funk reminds me exactly of the Malcolm Brown role. And who, like, how much did we disdain Malcolm Brown the last couple of years? Because like Sean McVay wouldn't get rid of him. I think that's exactly what Jake Funk is going to be for us the next couple of years. Like he's going to pop up with random flashes of relevancy, 
because, you know, maybe Akers misses a couple games or, or maybe Henderson uh, McVay finally realizes that he's not good like the rest of us. And all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, Jake Funk is is taking goal line touchdowns, right, and, and taking them from us and, and you know, getting workload. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not claiming that Jake Funk is going to be a Pro Bowl running back or, or is that talent level at all. But, man, if, if I'm sitting there at the back end of the fourth round and I'm looking at the running backs and I got – uh, you know, Rakeem Boyd or Jamar Jefferson, uh, Jake Jake Funk is is right in there in that conversation for me, and and I wouldn't mind grabbing a share or two of them. Absolutely, great stuff. Well, Matt, I appreciate you taking the time as always, and for anybody who's not, uh, please make sure to tell everybody where they could check out your Patreon, your work on Twitter, all the good podcast stuff that you do. Uh, make sure to let everybody know where they can find you at. Yeah, at the FF Educator on Twitter. Uh, patreon.com patreon.com slash the ff educator I'm, I'm just reading off the rookie big board here uh, as we're kind of going that's my rankings and i have uh all 168 rookies uh ranked here on the rookie big board for fantasy football value also devi big board dynasty big board all that's included for three dollars a month and including our slack channel and access to some pretty fun leagues too so uh, you could definitely check out all that work. And then Rookie Big Board uh, podcast is on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And we're also on uh, YouTube as well. So I think that's that's all the goodness here. And it's, uh, it's a 365 labor of love. Uh, like I said, we're going to start building the 2022 Big Board soon. And I, I got to give myself a week, but it's time to really dig into these Devi boards and update those as we get going for the season. So... Uh, it, it's a fun time, man. It's a vibrant community. The Slack chat has just been blowing up this week, as you could imagine, with rookie drafts. And uh, it, it's a fun place to be. So I, I appreciate you uh, having me on, Anthony, man. I, I always like coming on this show. Yeah, man. I was funny you just said that because I was just going to say, give your brain like a week before you dive into like <laughs> Debbie Madness because I know that's your time of year too. Uh, people can definitely gain a lot from all your stuff over at Rookie Big Board and on the Patreon. So. You do great work, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on and join us again. Yeah, anytime, my man. Thanks, bud. Thanks again to Matt for taking the time to join me on this week's episode of the podcast, breaking down everything that happened in the 2021 NFL Draft. And like we said already multiple times, make sure to check out his work. He does an excellent, excellent job, and he'll he'll get right into it for 2022, man. The Debbie analysis will be coming fast and furious, and he's definitely a guy that you want to be tuned into. So make sure to check all that stuff out. But I appreciate all the support as always. Now that the draft is coming gone, uh, the next few weeks, months, we'll be reacting to some of the implications for veterans, players that we're looking to go after, uh, analysis on each individual teams. Uh, not going to slow up here at all. We'll do some more Debbie stuff over the summer as well, but going to keep on grinding. We have a bunch of stuff that's really cool that's lined up for the next couple weeks and months ahead. Uh, appreciate everybody checking us out as always, and we'll be back next week. Thanks. Yeah.